Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Sean's Wildlife Podcast. I hope you're enjoying season four now. I can't believe we've done so many. Um, It's December, we're just in the lead up to Christmas 2020 after a pretty rough year and I'm finally catching up with uh, an online friend of mine, Nina Constable, who is an award-winning filmmaker. Um, She's worked for the likes of BBC, WWF, Save the Elephants, and the list goes on. So welcome from Cornwall, Nina. It's great to to have you on. Oh, well, thank you very much for inviting me. It's really nice to be chatting with people, like you said, kind of online friends, but to actually be making kind of bigger, better connections. So, yeah, really good to to get to chat. Yeah, absolutely. And we were just talking just before we started a press record, about it being a, a pretty hectic year. You're a bit worn out now. We're approaching the end, are you? Yeah, it's it's funny. It's one of those things where um, I think everybody, so many different people have had such different years. I think some people have found that their work is a lot quieter, but I think that people that work can work remotely or digitally, in some ways it's been even more hectic because I think with mm-hmm. Zoom meetings, you can cram... 10 times more meetings into a day than if you were physically meeting people so I think yeah lots of zoom meetings and lots of kind of online work as well so it's actually ended up being a really really packed year which is great but I'm very much looking forward to having a bit of a break from screens for a little bit over Christmas yeah I I feel your pain I've been working at home on my own out of the office uh on a screen since March so I think the other thing is it's not being around people so when you're doing so much on screen you're kind of like just in your own mind and you don't have someone to bounce ideas off and things a lot of the time is that the same with you or yeah definitely I think um but I say that but actually in some ways I think because of the pandemic and it kind of making me work a bit more collaboratively I think actually I've probably been in more conversations and people than I would necessarily because I haven't been able to get to certain places to do the filming myself so I've been using local camera operators and so then I've actually been kind of directing from home or from my little studio and maybe in some ways building more connections actually but I think I've just forgotten how to talk to people in person. (laughs) Yeah I know I've had a few a few awkward moments someone got into a lift with me the other day and I was like this isn't COVID safe but also I was like okay I'm not really good at like small talk with strangers anymore it was really awkward yeah yeah it's kind of bumping into people I think now that things especially being down in Cornwall being in tier one and you know we are able to go out and about a little bit more and suddenly like bumping into people and just being like wow we've been talking a lot but I haven't seen your face in front of my face for a long time how do I do this (laughs) I know know. we've just got back into tier three in London so don't don't rub it in too oh, much. Oh, I'm sorry. Good, good. So you're you're looking forward to a well deserved break um over Christmas, yeah? Yeah, really looking forward to yeah, switching off the screens, maybe reading some books and probably some festive fizz. 
<laughs> yeah, I was going to say some, uh, you know, eat, drink and be merry time, yeah? Yeah, definitely. I think we all deserve it, don't we? <laughs> definitely, definitely. I just got back this morning. We're obviously, uh, this is in December for anyone listening, um, but I just got back this morning from a, a nice little break. I had some annual leave to use up and I went and stayed in a little wagon on a kind of a very eco-friendly farm in Suffolk. And uh, I brought loaded books, but I ended up actually just wandering from dawn to dusk with my camera outside and I saw um, a starling murmuration and oh, loads wow. of birds and all kinds of wildlife on this farm and around. So I feel thoroughly refreshed, but I've just spent a day back at work in front of the screen and I'm like, oh God, why did I take <laughs> the time off? There's so much to so, so much to do now and on my return. I know that's always a tricky one, isn't it? Where you're kind of, I often do that where people say, you know, you really need to book the time off, otherwise you just won't take it. But I find yeah. that if I take time off at the wrong time and I haven't got quite to where I want to get with work or I've still got a really busy brain, I can't really relax properly and enjoy that time off. So it's it's finding a balance, isn't it? But then I'm I'm the kind of person that then just never ends up taking that break because I'm always saying that and then it's on to the next project. So I think, yeah, this Christmas kind of I'm gonna it's gonna be a make yourself to make myself just yeah, not work <laughs> and tell people that I'm not available until the new year. <laughs> yeah, I'm giving, I'm good at giving those tips, like, you know, delete all the apps off your phone and I'm not good at doing it though, because I found myself um creating an Instagram profile for the podcast and trying to do all the backlog of previous episodes while I was away relaxing off grid. So yeah, good at giving the advice, but not good at taking it. <laughs> Ask me plans and all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, look, I think um, we met, we'll talk about how we met at the start of the year, the first lockdown. But before we do, maybe um, just be great to get a bit of background because um, I've always admired your your film style. You create absolutely gorgeous uh, films and um, have a good knack for telling a story. So can you tell us kind of where it all came from, where to begin with kind of nature and with film? Yeah, of course. Um, thank, first of all, thank you very much. Um, that's really kind of you. Um, but I think for me, I always get asked, you know, um, was it a dream of mine to become a filmmaker? Where did it where did the dream begin? And I actually think I'm one of those people that I kind of, I didn't grow up dreaming of being a filmmaker because I think it wasn't something that was on my radar as an option, I guess. I think kind of grow, growing up and being in school and I remember doing all those online tests that you would do that would kind of tell you what your career options would be kind of suited oh, to yeah. your interests and it would just be things that I don't know that never really appealed to me and so I think for a long time I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do but I'd I've always been obsessed with animals and loved horse riding when I was younger and always had loads of rabbits and things and just I'm one of four children and my mum was on her own with us and so I think we were pretty wild and we right. would just kind of run around the countryside building dens and tarzans and things and and so I think I'd always have a, had a love of the outdoors, but it wasn't until um, probably after my degree. So I did English literature as a as my first degree. Okay. Not so I'm not a scientist, and I think sometimes people often think that I'm a wildlife expert because of the work that I do. But I am not an expert myself. I just talk to lots of experts and right. learn, learn from their expertise. But um, yes, yeah, so I did an English degree, but then after that 
just there's there's where your storytelling comes in right yeah and I've always been obsessed I've been a total bookworm since I was tiny I've always just devoured books and reading and storytelling and also always love nature documentaries and films and things but um it was only I took a year out after my degree and was just kind of trying to think about what I wanted to do and I actually found my degree a real struggle the amount of time that I had to spend on my own especially with all of the reading that we had to do and realised that I needed to work with people. And I'd also become really obsessed with photography um, during my degree as well. And it was that year out that I just started thinking about what I wanted to do and how I could combine things that I loved. And film was the thing that kind of combined storytelling, visuals and music. And But then yeah. I had no... You know, I was just taking weird pictures that I thought were arty that weren't that good at the time. <laughs> right. didn't, didn't have any kind of filmmaking skills or knowledge or know-how. Um, but then I found a master's that Bristol University were running that you just needed a relevant degree in kind of like a creative degree to get onto it. And that was called, it was a master's in documentary practice. And it wasn't wildlife focused. It was more anthropological and you could choose whether you focused on film, radio, photograph, photography or essay writing. And I chose to focus on film. And so that's where I kind of built the foundations of my knowledge with editing and cameras. And I just felt totally in love with it. But it still at that point was it wasn't really about wildlife. And I was just learning about the filmmaking process and ended up doing my final film on Muslim female surfers. Um, right. And after my degree, um, I ended up going to Mozambique and doing an internship for six months with a marine conservation organisation. Um, because alongside all of that, although I wasn't studying wildlife, it's always been something that I've been really aware of. And my boyfriend, who I've been with for a long time, he's a marine biologist. And I've okay. always, yeah, always loved learning about what he's been doing. And so we actually went out to Mozambique together and he was working on the research side with whale sharks. And I was producing films about manta rays and whale sharks for the conservation organisation that he was working with. And that, to be honest, kind of began the the kind of wildlife side of my work and turned it yeah. from interest into um, something that I you know was potentially something that could be a career but it started very very slowly um and I was making lots of different types of films um and I'd say it's only been the past three years that I've really managed to kind of um just focus purely on kind of conservation the environment and wildlife um and stop making um kind of wedding films and other things that just kind of helped me to buy camera gear and pay the bills really so um not a very direct route a very long-winded answer but um yeah kind of yeah how I how I am how I got to where I am now really yeah but it's obviously given you that breadth of like kind of interests and experience and um ability I suppose to put all of those different elements together into something that yeah. inspires people I suppose I hope I hope so. That's the hope. I think as long as one person's inspired by a film that I make or, you know, has learned something, I think that's that's an achievement. But I think, yeah, it's also, you know, it's been really hard work. And I think I took a a different route to a lot of other people. Um, yeah. But I think it, ha it really has. Like I've learned so much through all of the different projects that I'm working on. I do all the script writing as well as the filming and editing. And 
because of that I have to learn a lot and I have to spend a long time speaking to the experts and the scientists and you know you can't I can't write a script about something that I don't know about and so it's I, yeah. I kind of see it as a bit of a free education and I am learning the things you know I never it's kind of made me really understand the importance of you know doing sciences and biology and just learning how the world works because you know my partner has an understanding of you know just how how things function from his studies that I don't and you know and so I just I think that's one of the things that I've kind of learned but then you know if I hadn't done the English degree I wouldn't maybe have been able to do the scripting and write the stories in the way that I do so yeah yeah so no no regrets no regrets I'm doing the English degree <laughs> no regrets um but Good. a lot to learn a lot to catch up on I think <laughs> yeah and I'd imagine like quite a steep learning curve I know myself like I I have a camera and I try and go out and photograph wildlife and things but I find that if I put it down for even a couple of weeks and don't kind of play around with it I just lose all that technical knowledge of like what does f stop mean and <laughs> how do, what do, what's an aperture I just I find the tech side of photography and, and filming overwhelming it's like my brain is full I can't I don't have capacity how did you find that it must have been a really steep learning curve in just a master's I guess over one year was it to try and learn all of that technical kind of stuff yeah so it was over one year and it definitely was I and I would say that I didn't I I left not really you know, I don't think anyone should have hired me as soon as I finished my master's. I don't, know if, would, I don't know if they would have got a good bang for their buck. And I think <laughs> I definitely learned a lot. Just through every job, I learned more and more and I had a, a foundation so I could yeah. put a film together. But I look back now and and I think, especially when I'm preparing for talks and, you know, I have to like look back at kind of you know what my journey has been and I then through doing that you kind of go back to the archives you look at films and I kind of cringe at the kind of the sound and the wind, <laughs> the wind noise and just you know I started out with not even owning my own camera I would borrow my boyfriend's but he had no sound equipment and so I remember doing doing these films at Cornwall Wildlife Trust and I was having to hide behind like rocks and kind of anything I could find to stop the wind <laughs> suffering on, on the camera because I had no microphones yeah. and things. And then you're like, oh, maybe a microphone is something that I need, but then they're expensive. And and yeah. so I think it's, yeah, I've just learned my craft through the organisations that have kind of hired me and trusted me to make their films and kind of starting on low budget things where, you know, it didn't matter that I wasn't filming to kind of broadcast standard to now where yeah. I'm just, yeah, I've just learned and honed it through making films really, which has been a really amazing way to learn. And I think I definitely break a lot of rules. There's lots of things that I know that I do that I probably shouldn't do, but I think that well, it works. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow the films, you know, they seem to work. So yeah. Yeah. They sure do. They sure do. And why do you think, Nina, that like you've been drawn back to kind of that niche? It's not so niche, but that topic of environmentalism and the planet and nature. I think just learning more myself about how much we need to do, how um, how much we're I think it was just learning about how much we're destroying the planet and how many species there are that are endangered and I think that the 
the work that I was doing in Mozambique, um, they were looking at manta rays and whale sharks, but also turtles. And I, you know, it was a massive education for me, kind of learning about plastics and overfishing and these things that were negatively impacting um, species that I wasn't aware of necessarily. And then speaking to friends that they weren't aware of. And then that awareness, realizing that once you have that awareness, these are things that you then need to start taking responsibility for and realizing that changes I could make in my own life could potentially help. And I think also realizing that urgency and that there are so many stories to tell that are of importance, but actually I feel like the story of the situation of our planet is the most important right now because we need to make changes. And and I think, yeah. yeah, and so I think that's it's why... It's kind of a building urgency now, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. And I think we often think that more people are more aware than they are because often we are in an echo chamber and especially with our online communities, you know, we follow people that we, you know, we agree with the things that they're saying or we like to read the things that they're posting and actually reaching beyond that is really important. And I think that's what I kind of started to realize that you know you think that people are around you think that people care but actually a lot of people don't and it's not always because they don't care it's because they don't know and so I think that's one of the things that I always try and make sure is in my films that it's not vilifying people or telling people that they're doing things wrong but it's education awareness and then a call to action kind of showing people that there are things that they can do in their own lives and I feel like that's something that if some of the films that I'm making can help in some way make the world a better place then I think that is um you know that there's no better job for me than to do that yeah absolutely I talked about that quite a lot with um previous guests of mine who I think you know Cal Major yes um, yeah yeah so about her, you know, paddle against plastic and um, getting people to kind of realise that, you know, every little decision we make actually can add up to, you know, a positive action kind of globally and, and stuff. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with you as well. Like the kind of echo chamber thing, you know, we talk about stuff and we kind of lament the state of the planet and talk to other conservationists and people we know who are equally as passionate. But you do forget, don't you, that actually a lot of people just don't know as much or aren't as kind of clued in as to what's going on. So, yeah, I think film is definitely like a really powerful way of, of um, inspiring people or educating people. No, definitely. Um, yeah, I totally agree. And I think it's something that, you know, with film as well, if you make something that is also, um, you know, you can put a kind of a big conservation message in there, a big call to action, but actually if you tell you know, if you've got nice visuals and sounds and people, you know, like working with Sophie Pavel, she's amazing. And, you know, I think lots of people just engage with her. And I think if you can kind of grab people and create something which will then be shared widely beyond um, a community that it might not usually be shared amongst, then that, yeah. that's a, the power of film, I think, to kind of to reach people um, kind of anywhere, really. Yeah. Absolutely. We'll talk about your, your project with Sophie in a bit. It's definitely on my list. I uh, really, <laughs> really enjoyed it. But going kind of back to basics or talking about, you know, that kind of group of people you talked about 
um, group of people today on, on your Instagram where you said, you know, you've met so many kind of like-minded people um, into nature and, and conservation and things. Um, we all have a lot in common. And I think one of the kind of threads that uh, is quite common to us is we need time in nature and we need to um, kind of disconnect sometimes from the modern world and all the kind of trappings that go with that and get back to kind of nature and the soil and the earth and things. And I was delighted to see um, early on when after I first met you that you're also like me, a grower. You, you're you a big garden nerd, are you? <laughs> yeah, L- learning. <laughs> yeah. I, oh my gosh, yeah, I love it so much and tell us why you loved your garden (laughs) oh it's so we my partner and I bought our first house I think two years ago now and um but before that we were renting in this beautiful place um owned by a friend of ours called James Smith and he had this huge allotment that he developed while we were living there but because it was his space and he it you know so beautifully done he was always saying you know go into the garden and do bits but you would just feel like I was like I'm just going to muck up your beautiful garden but that kind of started to make me feel like oh my gosh what an amazing thing to grow things my mum's also our entire back garden was an allotment not a lawn um, right, good. I like um, her already <laughs> but then moving to this house we um we didn't know when we first looked at it but kind of along with it 100 meters down a little woodland path came this little field that we were told by the estate agent was worthless because you it's detached from the house and there's no private access you can never build on it but on this piece of land was this huge polytunnel and I was just like how can this be seen as worthless this looks amazing and I think just we were both just like this we just felt so incredibly lucky to have to have the, this land and this polytunnel that I think I, I was going to say I'm I'm jealous yeah that's yeah, amazing I, I think we I also just felt this responsibility to to make the most of it as well and to kind of yeah. do it justice and I think also I said you know spending so much time on screens and actually it just became this thing for me that um I just wanted to learn felt very lucky to have this space but just I still, I know it might sound really silly, but I literally find it magic. The fact that I can plant these little seeds that grow not just into plants, but into things that I can eat. It actually blows my mind. (laughs) Um, And yeah, it's been definitely, it's a therapy for me. I think just going and kind of being amongst it all and, you know, just switching off from screens. But also, yeah, I think it's just, I just find it amazing. Yeah, I'm I'm totally in agreement. I think it's uh it's definitely saved my sanity, especially lockdown, the first lockdown, when you know we were told you can go out for an hour, exercise a day, and otherwise you're locked inside. If I didn't have the allotment, then I think I would have gone absolutely mad and climbed the walls. But having that, especially at the time it was, it was that t- magical time where you are planting seeds and seeing them sprout and grow into something, and knowing that like you're going to get a harvest from all this stuff as well. I couldn't agree more. It's like, it is total magic, isn't it? And I think the thing for me as well is the patience because I'm notoriously quite yeah. quite an impatient person. And I kind of just, I think because I'm just used to rushing around and kind of, you know, just, and I think it's taught me uh, to, to slow down a bit and that, you know, things 
sometimes actually it seems like things happen overnight I think when your tomatoes go they go and you're suddenly just like oh my gosh there's just tomatoes everywhere but I think there is a period of time where you're just waiting for things to happen and you can't visually see changes or developments but it's just having that patience and that faith that things are going to come and then when they do it's just like oh my gosh it's happening the magic is happening again yeah and the little kind of delight moments where you you know maybe you haven't gone down in a day or two or you haven't checked certain things in a while and you go and they suddenly surprise you because they've done something incredible or they've got a harvest for you like already and you only checked them two days ago stuff like that is is quite good isn't it and it just and it also just feels so good as well to there have definitely been a number of meals that we've had where everything has been grown from the garden uh, or my partner as well he um sometimes goes spear fishing and you know we've had dinners where we've had sea bass and potatoes from the garden and all the greens and just been like this feels really amazing we're self-sufficient <laughs> but I mean that doesn't happen that often I don't want to paint a picture that's not true I think that's happened twice this year but it's I know but you still like that <laughs> moments right <laughs> no, exactly yeah and um, you've also been uh, making the most of your kind of garden and surrounds putting out trail cams and you built a pond this year right yeah we did that's another one of my obsessions <laughs> I'm a big pond nerd too we have a lot in common <laughs> we um we actually one we were saying that one of the things we'd love were to have frogs there and we would sat at one point eating lunch in the garden and just randomly there was just a frog next to us we were like where has this come from and so we took it down and put it in the pond we were like great we've got a frog in the pond but I think it promptly left um and so I don't think we've got frogs in there yet but we've I set this trail cam up and was just amazed by how quickly things found it and you and when we yeah. were digging it we're like how are things going to know that it's there like you know this is in it's quite shaded as well through throughout a lot of the day we're kind of flanked by trees on either side and I just couldn't believe the fact that it was just discovered by things I would say within two days um go on gloat about one of your best <laughs> and earliest visitors I mean, you were rubbing it in before you can do it again <laughs> you teed me up for it we basically I think two days in had this tawny owl that um that we saw but I think the first day it just kind of um we hadn't put this log in the middle and it just appeared by the side and then flew off but then we put this big bit of dead wood in and it basically started visiting maybe two or three times a week for two months and coming and having baths in the pond and not always at night time sometimes at like six in the morning so it's kind of broad daylight and this owl is just yeah just properly like looking like he's having a proper shower and yeah shaking its shaking its tail feathers and yeah <laughs> amazing yeah. to see <laughs> some yeah some people have all the look <laughs> so i was I had, pretty envious um i but um i went down after i basically was trying to work out the pattern of kind of when it was coming and i realized that it was coming after it had been really hot for a few consecutive days, because I think they right. come and wash when they're like wash parasites off. Or, and so I think it was maybe after about a month and I decided I was going to go down and sit in the hide and and try and get some shots of this owl. So I went down about three in the morning and massively overestimated 
the capabilities of my camera and it was just pitch black and couldn't see anything and I was just sat in this hide in the pitch black <laughs> and my, I couldn't see anything either and could just hear all these noises outside and I was like the owl could literally be right outside and I can't see a thing so I ended well, up leaving. it's always worth experimenting isn't it <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely like um, I told you I had um over the weekend in, in Suffolk I had badgers coming to the steps of the wagon I was staying in I put out peanuts for them and uh, tried to get some pictures of them through the window at night with a flash. And I was like, I got the reflection of the flash a lot with a blur badger <laughs> in the background. I didn't think to um, have a practice run on the first night. I was like, oh, how hard can it be? Point and shoot and flash. No, <laughs> absolutely abysmal effort. So I think we'll be just going with the trail cam footage I got of them. <laughs> it's, it's a funny thing, actually. I've been thinking about this over the last few weeks where um, this kind of, because we love capturing wildlife and sharing it with each other and inspiring each other. But I think I am having to relearn the ability to just enjoy something and not capture yeah. it and not feel the need to kind of share and shout about it. And I, it's a, it's a funny thing because, you know, when you do see something like an amazing spectacle, like you were saying with the starlings, it's so incredible. And I love watching people's videos of them, but it's, like yesterday um saw this woodpecker in the wood just next to my house but it was kind of a bit shrouded by leaves and when I kind of moved to try and take a picture it flew off and I was like oh didn't get a picture and then I was like but you saw it just enjoy the fact that you saw it and don't yeah. worry about you know no one else needs to know about that and I think that's maybe a kind of curse of social media and um I think it inspires us all to get outside but I think I'm really trying to um relax a little bit with just enjoying it for seeing it that's, on my own that's a good that's a good new year's resolution if it's not on Instagram it might still have happened <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um the other thing I think it was you didn't you ha didn't you catch a bat on your trail cam on your pond yeah so there's I don't know what type of bat but there's basically the owl comes and lands and then there's two bats kind of just flying behind it and somebody was like what are those weird lights and it's the eyes of the bat I think um but yeah really amazing but um but I was gonna say I think your bat footage is a lot better than mine you got some amazing bat footage this year didn't you I just had more time in the evening so I was like down on the allotment and good tip for bat um videoing just on your phone get the slow-mo out now you have to go through like, you know, ages and ages on your phone to scroll the bits that the bat shot by <laughs> at quick speed. But when you get it in slow-mo, yeah, you get to see like the shape of it and how it's moving its wings and turning and stuff. So yeah, um, I wouldn't say it's great footage, but it's just a good like little it's effect really to slow them down. Yeah, thank you, I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> and beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Well, Nina, look, we met um, on a really great project that came out of this kind of frustration at lockdown. It was Wild World Doorstep Discoveries. I always have a bit of bit of trouble saying that. But um, tell us a bit about that project, like where the idea came from and, and, and what you were trying to do with it. So that kind of, I think it came from a lot of different things. I think often the work that I do is commission based, which is amazing and I'm working with a conservation organization to promote awareness about work that they're doing that's really important but I think often or I do think sometimes you know it'd be really nice to work on a personal project and something that I've got kind of total kind of authority over and I can you know it's not 
um, promoting anything. It's just kind of doing its thing for doing its thing. And yeah. at the very beginning of lockdown, um, I think like a lot of other people, I was feeling pretty anxious as projects did start to get cancelled. Um, but then I was kind of just thinking about it, just thinking actually one of the things that I have right now, which I don't usually have is time, which is a bit of a luxury. And then also started kind of thinking about an idea of kind of collaborating with different people. But then at the same time, it was Billy Heaney. I think he was the person that was kind of, we were chatting about something and I was like, well, I've had a bit of an idea about this, but I'm not sure. And he was like, do it, mate, just do it. And I was like, well, you know, I would just be asking people to do things for free. And, and so I basically just ran it past a few people just to kind of, you know, people that I admired or loved their work or just wanted to connect with. And everybody came back just with a resounding yep sounds brilliant would love to be involved and so I then I felt like once I'd asked people I kind of had to do it <laughs> yeah you were under pressure yeah. then right having footage sent to you yeah but it just and it yeah and I think the idea was I think I'd read lots of posts of different people that um I knew either in the industry um filmmakers photographers that that were just kind of there was this shared sen sense of anxiety, I think, and worry not just about the situation that we were in with the pandemic, but also about their work and how they were getting yeah. their bills. And but also this wanting, I think, if you're a creative, you people want to be making and want to be having an output. And I think as your work get you know gets put on hold, there's this kind of creative energy that like you want to do something with it. And so I think that was the other thing was kind of seeing posts like Ben Harris is he's an amazing filmmaker and I think I read a post of his and he was saying you know about his anxieties and things and so it's lots of reasons lots of things that kind of helped it come about but I think the main thing was the people that I reached out to the fact that their love for nature and their want for to protect it is genuine it's not, yeah. you know, and because of that, they everyone was just so up for being involved with something that promoted a connection with nature and the fact that I think we were feeling anxious that being out and about, you know, in nature for that one hour a day or however long it could be, could be really beneficial for our mental health as well. And so I think it was for lots of things, kind of connecting with nature, promoting how amazing our UK wildlife is, but also just trying to help us all calm our anxieties really um but it just yeah couldn't have happened without all of the people that put so much effort into it and just worked so quickly as well which was just yeah really amazing yeah yeah um i think julian burke from Springwatch put us in touch because i she didn't know if uh spring was even going to go ahead remember and i'd uh put a, a camera in a blue tip nest box and Honestly, that blue tit nest box, everybody in Ealing, in Ealing Wildlife Group was like, we're loving this. This is like <laughs> our daily disconnect from like all the stress and worry and like what was going on. These two little blue tits that we called Stella and Mari. And I talked about it in the film that you put yeah. together. Like they just literally like kept everyone's spirits up in Ealing Wildlife Group for the whatever, six weeks that they built their nest and laid their eggs and um hatched out all these little chicks and i just think like as i spoke about in the film like the power of something even considered you know very very mundane and ordinary and average that we see all the time in our gardens and around us in the parks you know blue tit going about their business being able to get that like look into their private lives and actually 
turn off all of that worried brain and focus on something just really real and and kind of um, as pure as like a little pair of birds raising their chicks. It was just so powerful for people. And the amount of feedback we got on it was incredible. And it's not something they haven't seen before, but it was kind of like because they were their blue tits, they were so invested in them, you know. Definitely. And I mean, you chose some pretty amazing names for them as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I can't take credit for that. That was my, uh, my <laughs> Nigel. <laughs> but it's also, I think that, you know, I think it's something that we might have seen before, but I don't know if collectively we have all we had, had time. time to follow yeah. a story closely. And it's that thing, you know, where you don't fall in love with something unless you really know it. And I think we all dip in yeah. and out of a lot of different things and our brains are so full on a daily basis. But actually something like, you know, the blue tits and you also were amazing at kind of keeping up that content and updating people and people really just jumped on board with the story and then wanted to see how the story unfolded and how the story ended. And so I think that was one of the things that, you know, for you, kudos to you for kind of keeping that going, but also for the people that had the time to, yeah, just to connect with it every day, right? Yeah, exactly, and to to really engage. And yeah, I think it I think it reminded a lot of us of the beauty of the normal or the ordinary or really simple things that we can all just take so much joy out of and forget the worries that are kind of surrounding us yeah totally I have to not seriously not take all of the credit for that because I gave the box to my friend Nigel Bewley and he put it in his garden because mine failed on the balcony so I gave him a loan of it and he actually you know sent me the footage and I posted to social media and stuff so big shout out to Nigel <laughs> for, for doing that for me yeah. do you know what we were we were so um, worried, and I think Gillian kind of said this to me as well, like that you're always really worried about um, them failing or the eggs not hatching or some you know, woodpecker or squirrel coming and eating them in front of everyone, and that was just not the news we needed at the time. Yeah, <laughs> but it was, a, it was a happy ending, wasn't it? Because they laid, did they lay seven, seven eggs in total? Seven eggs, five hatched. One chick did die very late on the smallest chick, but four four out of five isn't bad. Yeah, which is amazing. Yeah. New life, hope. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mentioned earlier your post on Instagram today, and kind of um, you were talking about kind of the people you've met and stuff like that through through projects like that. Um, we're also in a week, and I think a lot of us are feeling it where Boris Johnson kind of called us all eco freaks did you see that oh it was i i was it was one of those things where like i cannot believe he's just said this in a public sphere and then i was like oh no i, I can know. no i can't believe it it was just i and i i just don't really understand how he thought that was a good idea and whether it was something that was intentional to provoke a rise from i i i Honestly, I was gobsmacked, but then in the same breath. In that, if not. case anyone didn't hear it, or in case by the time this episode goes out, you don't remember what he said, he said uh, he was talking about the climate crisis at a global forum, and he said, um, look, this is important, guys, but we're not all um, hair shirt-wearing, mung-bean-eating eco-freaks. 
Um, True, I've never it. eaten a mung bean. Have you, Nina? I've never even seen a mung bean. <laughs> no, I wouldn't know one if it hit me in the face. <laughs> but what was amazing from that, though, was the kind of Gillian posted something incredible and then Sophie Pavel as well kind of instigated this kind of like this is not a kind of them and us thing you can love nature and love watching rubbish tv or you can love twitching and drinking beer you you don't have to be one or the other you can we're I... all just normal people that you know like nature That's and it. life <laughs> I know I was going to bring up Sophie's thing because I was cracking up at some of the answers. Sophie Pavel asked, um, you know, what, what's your dichotomy between your, your eco-freak <laughs> side and your like, normal person? And there was some hilarious answers. I said, you know, I like, you know, going like hardcore gay clubbing as much as I like wild camping. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Amazing. we we are we're painted in many colours, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. What was your, uh, what's your least um, eco-freak indulgence or habit then, Nina? <laughs> did you answer? Yeah, I did actually. So mine is, so I said mine was beavers, butterflies, G's and T's and my GHDs. So I've got incredibly crazy curly hair and I do every now and again like straightening my hair and kind of glamming up really. And especially if I'm like, yeah, if I, it just makes me feel nice sometimes just to kind of... Yeah you know, makes you feel getting out of the wellies in the mud. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, it is. There were some absolutely hilarious ones. Somebody, I think someone was like fungi and metal. And I was like, brilliant. (laughs) Yeah. Although I would, I would say knowing some fungi enthusiasts, a lot of them are into metal. You know, there's a common (laughs) theme there. (laughs) Um, we'll talk about in a second your um, your Beaver film with Sophie, but um, you you filmed some other incredible stuff. Like you've you've gone to some great places. You filmed some incredible species. What are some of the highlights for you on on kind of previous projects? Oh God, um, I would say I have to say I know it's not UK wildlife, but um, that's okay. Filming We're elephant, global, yeah, filming elephants. So I spent two two and a half months out in Kenya living in the bush in a kind of camp that was kind of open to the elements the wildlife for yeah for two and a half months filming for Save the Elephants and I had my own little four by four that I got to drive around in and my main job was just to yeah to film elephants and because they it's quite a small reserve that they're working in in Samburu and they they know a lot of the elephant families quite well they trust the save the elephants vehicles and so they get so close and sometimes come up and kind of push the vehicle and you could kind of feel the elephants kind of when they would kind of grumble um kind of through their trunks it's just one of the most incredible things to hear and feel and that like you're feeling the vibration of it almost yeah yeah, it's kind of like really deep bass (laughs) you kind of almost like tremble um and I just had some of the most incredible encounters um with elephants and kind of getting to know certain individuals and you know going out and kind of seeing a family and recognizing them and that was a period of time I will never ever forget um but then you know and I I think here in the UK I over the last year or so I've had some absolutely incredible encounters and I think previously I think I 
was maybe guilty of thinking that you know wildlife in other countries was more exotic and much cooler and I think having been in Mozambique and saw humpback whales and whale sharks and manta rays and just thinking that wildlife here was not as exciting yeah I think I was undereducated about it and working over the last year and a half main like purely in the UK my, I've just had my eyes opened just how incredible some of our UK wildlife is and seeing basking sharks and otters up in Scotland and I think anything that has the ability to kind of take your breath away and take words out your mouth or make you scream in excitement is pretty incredible so I think those definitely have yeah I think basking sharks and otters um has been amazing things to see um but also butterflies this might sound like a weird one but or maybe not weird but um I've done a lot of work for butterfly conservation and there's a colony of silver studded blue butterflies on the Towans in Cornwall on the north coast and there's an amazing lady called Sally Foster who has spent her life's work is um kind of researching them but also campaigning for their protection because there's an area there that isn't protected and could potentially be built upon right. and she knows this site so well and I just remember going and crawling on my hands and knees with her in the summer looking for silver studded blues that were newly emerged and watching them inflate their wings and then oh, flying right. off and that was just I think her passion but just seeing this transformation this process is just incredible so if anyone hasn't done it if you can see a butterfly emerge with these kind of floppy folded wings and then them kind of pump them they sort of pulsate them don't they and they get bigger and bigger yeah Um, i think that goes back to your point on like um we're all so busy we we just don't slow down to see those little things right no exactly and i remember somebody saying it i did a film once which doesn't sound very exotic but for the dipterist society and they are all about flies and it was a film basically looking at how important flies are for pollination for so many things that we overlook and the um the director that i interviewed he was just saying about um there's you know in the hedgerows and you know in the kind of insect world there is this incredible ferocious kind of story unfolding every single day of life and death that we're just so huge and so busy that we don't we don't see it or don't notice it but it's as exciting as an Attenborough that you would watch if you took the time to watch or if we were a little smaller yeah totally agree it's like the the Serengeti in miniature isn't it yeah exactly yeah any uh, scary moments or total catastrophes in your career filming been any scary moments god that's a good one I actually don't know if that I think um probably um this isn't something that I've spoken about much just because it's kind of a different part of my work but I've actually done a lot of humanitarian work and I spent six weeks um, working in Zatri refugee camp and working in the Middle East a little bit and I think it's not kind of wildlife scary but there were definitely times when I was there that I felt unsafe and had to really question whether um, it was really important me being there and whether the story that I was telling was worth the kind of the risk and I think that is probably when I felt most unsafe which is interesting because I think it's I think when I felt scared it's because of people not wildlife yeah yeah right let's have a a look at that um 
And then any advice to budding filmmakers, especially in wildlife filmmaking? Yeah, I think I think one of the things that often puts people off is thinking that you need to have expensive equipment to produce films about wildlife. And so I think that often puts people off or they just think it's not accessible. But nowadays, we've most of us have got phones that film in slow motion and in full HD. And so much of it is to do with the storytelling and the visuals, of course, yeah. are important. But actually, if you can tell a, a powerful story, that is the the kind of the biggest skill and the kind of the best piece of kit that you need and so the thing that I would say is to go and make films you don't there's nothing stopping you you don't need to have a lot of kit go and shoot something on your phone and try and edit it yourself and then that way you really start to learn which parts of the filmmaking process you enjoy and I think that can really start to hone your skills and just start to give you a bit of direction as to kind of which path to follow um, but also the other thing I'd say is when we can when we're allowed to if there's you know when the credits are rolling on a film that you've been really inspired by and you see the producer's name find out how you can contact them and invite them for a coffee because that was advice I was given and mm. I followed that advice and would email people and I ended up meeting a um a producer director at the natural history unit who asking her for a coffee and she said yes and went and met her very nervously in bristol and that you know we had such a lovely conversation and she ended up recommending me for some future work and i ended up doing a six-week stint in the natural history unit on her recommendation and that was through inviting someone for a coffee um and so i think you don't always have to be connected and have expensive kits to break into the industry. There's lots of ways. You just have to get over the nerves of reaching out to somebody that you don't know, I think, which can sometimes feel a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, that's brilliant advice. Yeah, networking um, and just asking people for a bit of their time is, yeah. it often yields great results, doesn't it? Definitely. It can be invaluable. Yeah. So look, it wouldn't be an episode of Sean's Wildlife Podcast, Nina, without me talking about beavers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have heard from, you know, a few members of Ealing Wildlife Group, like, God, Sean's pretty obsessed with beavers nowadays, isn't he? <laughs> um, and I am. <laughs> There's no denying it. So <laughs> tell us about uh, the film Beavers Without Borders. Where does the idea come from? Um, why is it important? And mostly what has been the reaction to it? Because I think you've been quite surprised, right? Yeah, so the idea was, um, it was kind of the dreamt up or thought up by James Wallace, who is um, the executive director at Beaver Trust. Yeah. And he just felt like, you know, I think there's been a lot of buzz around beavers over the last few years and they are, you know, they are being reintroduced into certain places and they are living wild, you know, up in Scotland, down on the River Otter, um, but there's still, you know, a long way to go and there's still a lot of um, kind of legislation surrounding them that means that they're not living wild in our landscape. And I think James just felt like this was a story that needed to be um, told, really, and explored and just kind of really need to look at what the reality of living with beavers wild in our landscape would look like um and yeah. so he it was yeah he approached me and it was really weird actually because the night before um I think it was Sophie that first of all ran it past me but the night before my partner and I had been chatting about things that we wanted to do in our careers and I was like I'd really love to make a bit of a longer form beaver film and he was like beavers 
again. And I was like, yeah, I feel like <laughs> we're all obsessed feel, with theories. Yeah. And he was like, but you've, and I was like, you know, I've told a story in a certain way, but I feel like there's, you know, so much more to say. And, and yeah, I got this phone call off Sophie the following day being like, you know, James has been thinking about this and would you be up for it? And I was like, this is so weird. And yes, of course I would be up for making a beaver film and working with you again. Um, <laughs> Brilliant. So that's kind of, that's how it kind of came about. Um, but then, yeah, then, you know, producing a film in a time of COVID posed a lot of challenges, but, you know, working with Sophie was really amazing and with the organisation as well. Um, it was very much, we had a kind of rap chat about it yesterday and we were all saying we very much feel like it's kind of our film and that we've worked on it very collaboratively. And yeah, um, it was just a really... I felt really um, honoured that they trusted me to tell a story that I think we all feel is really important. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and Sophie um, just did an amazing job of presenting it and everyone that, you know, all the contributors as well, just, you know, I just felt like I wish I had an hour to just include all of their interviews in full and not chop any of their, any of their... That's the hard part, isn't it? <laughs> Cutting everything out. <laughs> And you launched it on a, a live event um, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people tuned in and there was amazing reaction to it. And I think from kind of the, the couple of days after, you and Sophie were very, very surprised by the reaction, were you? Yeah, I think I think the main thing that we were very um, aware of is that not everybody loves beavers. There are definitely people that would prefer not to have beavers on their land or living wild and yeah. we tried to address those kind of conflicts in the film and you know tried to speak to people that to give a balanced argument but I think we can't deny that it is a pro beaver film and yeah. so I think we were anticipating backlash from that from certain communities that you know aren't pro beaver um, yeah. And so we were kind of braced for that. But also, I think um, Sophie and I would say, you know, we'd kind of working up towards the launch. And it was we both do a lot of um, we've both got an online presence where we kind of do like to promote the work that we're doing. And we kind of got to a few days before the launch. We're both like, have we, you know, oversold this? Like we just suddenly felt this weight of like, oh, my gosh, there's this many people coming to the launch. And yeah. oh, my gosh, we hope that people like it. And so I think we were kind of just just waiting really to see what people thought and we were just absolutely blown away I think we had 1500 people that attended the live launch that, amazing and we and then after that you know there wasn't this huge backlash that we thought might happen and yeah I think we were both just really overwhelmed by the positive response but also um globally as well i think that evening there were people from canada people from europe people from all over the, the world that had tuned in to watch it and we were just like what like this is why are they tuning in to watch our beaver film this is madness <laughs> but yeah. um also yeah also amazing so yeah i think um it just made it all feel really, really worthwhile. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of hard work that went into it and a lot of, like I said, you know, kind of trying to produce something 
um, during COVID as well and hoping that you're kind of maintaining a kind of high level of production. And I think that everybody just came together and collaborated. And I think we, we I think we do feel quite proud of it, if I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> You are, you are, you should be. Um, yeah, I think it was brilliant. And I think you did a great job of, you know, kind of presenting both sides and being honest about some of the early problems, maybe that, um, you know, people who've gone before the UK and released reintroducing beavers have run into and things. So I think it was pretty fair and balanced. But why do you think, Nina, just to finish up, why are beavers capturing everyone's imagination and, and lifting their spirits at this point in time? I think beavers are a really a kind of, I guess, rewilding in itself has been um, a big conversation, especially the last few years, I think, with um, what's been going on at NEP and with lots of beaver reintroductions. But I think with beavers, it's just such a positive story. And there are so many, kind of, there's just so many positive benefits with like a trickle down effect kind of through you know from invertebrates up to you know like in Bavaria black storks returning purely because beavers are kind of creating these wetlands for them to return and I think that we have had a lot of bad news recently and I think with the environment there's a lot of talk of destruction and you know things being depleted but something like a beaver coming back and restoring habitats and you know, seeing species returning that we haven't seen for however many years. It's just, it's a story of hope, but they're also something that they're not something like a wolf that is going to eat your sheep or people will be frightened of as well. I think there's something that, um, there's just hugely positive benefits that surround them, but they're also, um, they're also beavers. They're really cute. <laughs> they're not going to yeah, be you. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, yeah. They're um, a furry herbivore, which helps, yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, look, I think we'll we we'll leave it there because otherwise we're going to be waffling on for another hour, I'm sure. <laughs> I could talk um, for a time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, at some point in early 2021, hopefully, um, we can you know get the gang back together and actually meet over a drink or a meal. That would be great for the... Uh, the wild world crew <laughs> I would, i've actually been thinking about that recently and just thinking that when we can i would really love to um yeah just get everybody together because a lot of us haven't met one another and yeah you know, there's been a lot of online connections and lots of zooms and things and so it would just be lovely to nerd out together collectively Absolutely. <laughs> all down all down to cornwall yeah <laughs> with wine <laughs> yeah bring tents for your garden and like camp next to your pond that'd be great <laughs> <laughs> absolutely so uh, nina what's next for nina constable media what are you working on can you tell us anything so i have yeah i've got a new film coming out in the new year um that is for wwf that is actually uh, that one is looking at my experiences as a filmmaker working in the UK over the last year or so. So that's really exciting that it's kind of a celebration of British wildlife. Cool. Um, but has been, yeah, it's been a bit of a funny one kind of filming myself. Um, right. But then I've also just started um, quite a big new project for the Penrith Landscape Partnership, which is this amazing organisation. It's lots of partner organisations like the National Trust, Cornwall Wildlife Trust, and loads of others I'll forget a lot of them but um it's this kind of multi-pronged kind of conservation 
effort in West Penwith in Cornwall that's kind of working with farmers and landowners, volunteers, local community to restore um, the landscape basically to be a really healthy working environment where farming practices are kind of going hand in hand with the natural environment and so that it's being and they've been working on it for two years and I'm making three films that are it's like a mini collection that's looking at the farmers and the landowners and lots of them have been transitioning over to organic or planting wildflower meadows or lots of other things they've been doing but then also looking at the culture and the importance to the local community for the kind of the ancient um, landscape as well. Um, and so that, yeah, the, the ancient hedgerows as well, um, which are really important to wildlife and corridors of connectivity and things. So that's a really long-term project that I think delivery for that is going to be in September. So I'm going to be starting that fully in the new year. Um, so that's a really exciting kind of big project to be working on local as well yeah sounds great but before that you need to get take a break nina right (laughs) yes that's the plan hopefully next week um delete all the apps for at least a week (laughs) (laughs) yeah well look it's been brilliant talking to you great um to, to have a good long chat um where can people find out more if they want to kind of see your work or um follow you on social media so if you want to have a look through my films, they're all free to view on my website, which is ninaconstable.co.uk. And then on Instagram, it's Nina Constable Media, and that's the same across Twitter and Facebook as well. And whenever I'm working on something, I kind of post links and things on there that, that will kind of take you through to my YouTube or um, to my website. Brilliant, brilliant. And I forgot I used to do this, so I'm going to put you on the spot now because it just popped back into my head. <laughs> but I know I used to finish up the podcast with the question, um, three Instagram accounts that you would recommend to listeners of Sean's Wildlife Podcast. Oh, wow. Okay, so I would say Sophie Pavel, if you don't already. Yeah. Um, Gillian Burke, definitely, if you don't already. And yeah. then... Oh my gosh, who's a third? There's so many. That's so hard to. I know, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking, I think Indy Green, um, oh, yeah. a really amazing young naturalist um, who writes, like, he, his is one where you really should read the posts. Obviously, you should read everybody's, but I think for his age as well, um, he is incredibly wise and has a lot to say for the kind of the younger generation. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I had him on with um, another young naturalist I know talking about uh, their their passions and things. Yeah, he's great. Really, really good. Um, and Sophie has been on with the Beaver Trust in her capacity as uh, ambassador. And uh, I just spoke to Gillian today and she's going to be coming on in the new year. So oh, no way. Cho- there we go. Good choices. <laughs> good interviewees. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, you've got good taste. <laughs> you do. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, Nina, it's been absolutely brilliant. Thank you again so much for, for coming on. Not at all. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really uh, lovely to chat. Great. And we'll hope for that little shindig down in Cornwall in the new year. <laughs> I'll get planning. Cool.
Thanks, Will. Right, guys, um, if you've enjoyed listening to this episode, please do subscribe, like, rate or review. It all helps. And if you would like to donate to the costs of the episode or talk about sponsorship, you can drop me a line on drseanmccormick at gmail.com or you can donate via the ACAST supporter link, which will be in the show description. So uh, for me and Nina, it's over and out for another episode. Thanks again. Thanks again.